I think we've all heard the golden rule or some variation of it, do unto others what you would have done unto you. It's been around for forever, long before Andrew gave away his ugly shoes. But <laughs> the actual description of the phrase as the golden rule comes from a Roman emperor named Alexander Severus. Um, he was the emperor of Rome from AD 222 to 235. And he thought this rule was so great that he had it made in gold, not bronze, made in gold and hung up on the walls of his chambers for everyone to see and to live by. Um, fun fact, Severus wasn't actually even Christian. He just thought it was a really good rule. And so he hung it up on his wall. But as you can see, it's been around forever. And it's a really great rule. A lot of people say it. But what happens when something has been around for forever, and we've heard it a million times, as the saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. And contempt basically just means you don't give something the respect that it deserves. So I think we've kind of glossed over this rule in our reading of the Bible or in our telling of the Sermon on the Mount. And listen, if Jesus tells us to do something, we really should take it seriously. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're going to take the golden rule seriously, we're gonna do what it's asked us to do, and we're gonna break it down. So, without further ado, let's turn into, in our Bibles to the book of Matthew. Um, we're gonna be in the seventh chapter. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab the Bibles in front of you. I know we say this every week, but it's so true. Those Bibles are for you. If you don't have one, take one. If you have a friend who doesn't have a Bible, take one, give them the Bible. Because you shouldn't be taking our word for it, you should be looking yourself. So as you are turning to Matthew 7, I'm gonna catch you up on where we are in our series of sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. So two weeks ago, Andrew broke down the first 12 verses in the Sermon on the Mount, which are sometimes called the Beatitudes. And this is where Jesus told his disciples how to truly be blessed, how to be really happy. And he introduces this idea of the upside down kingdom of God, where the meek inherit the world and the hungry are satisfied. And then last week, Andrew broke down the rest of chapter five, where Jesus explains what really matters to him. He explains that it's not the letter of the law that he likes, it's the spirit, it's the heart, it's your motives. Those are the things that are important to him. So then Jesus goes on in chapter six to teach his disciples about how to pray. It's where the Lord's prayer is found, so look that up. <laughs> he also talks to them about how to fast and how to not be anxious. It's a really good chapter on how to live as a Christian. So if you haven't read that, read that too. But today we're gonna to pick up near the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's um, sort of like the part of Andrew's sermons where he says last point and then he talks for like 20 more minutes. That's what this part is. <laughs> so that's where we're gonna be. Um, Jesus has been blowing people's minds and then he gets to Matthew chapter seven, verse 12 is what we're gonna read. <clears throat> so, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So if we're really gonna take the words of Jesus seriously, if we're really going to listen to what he says in the golden rule, I wanna break this down, literally word by word, to see what he really means. What is the first word? So, your translation might say therefore, Little trick I learned in Bible college, if you see the word therefore, you should ask, what is that therefore? 
My parents were like, yay, Bible college is paying off. No. <laughs> so we're going to look at why that word is there. Um, it could be pointing to the entire sermon beforehand because this is sort of the beginning of the conclusion, but I think it's pointing to what he says right before this verse. So let's take a look and read those verses starting in cha- uh, chapter 7, verse 7. <clears throat> Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his sons ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And at first glance, you think, well, I don't really know what those two things have to do together. In these verses, Jesus is talking about provision. He is explaining why God stands at the ready to hear and answer every prayer that we have. And he even asks, and I love the way this is phrased, he asks, you, lowly you, sinner you. No, I'm sure he didn't say it that way, but (laughs) he says even you, sinners, would would never give a stone or a serpent to your child who asks for food. None of us would do that. And so just imagine how wonderful our perfect Father in heaven is and what he will provide for us because it is the nature of our good Father to provide for his children when they ask in humility and sincerity and when it is in our best interest. And then he follows up this discussion on provision with the golden rule. Why? Well, I think it's because only in the generosity of God are we able to fully live out the golden rule. The golden rule is meant to come from the amazing overflow of God's provision. Now let me explain. This is a water bottle. Everyone's seen one before. (laughs) Vanna White. (laughs) It's never been opened before, so I'm going to open it. I'm going to take a drink because I'm thirsty. But this is what I'm going to do. Don't tell Andrew. Just kidding. (laughs) So, water bottle. I poured on the water. It's a gasp. <laughs> okay, no. So, why is there water on the floor? Oh, well, yes, I spilled it. But why? <laughs> why is there water on the floor and not pop and not, or soda, whatever you call it, or, <laughs> or wine? Because there's water in the bottle. We're the same way. We can't pour out of ourselves something that we do not have. It was water also because Miss Dora, our cleaning lady, would kill me if it was anything else. (laughs) So this is how we live out the golden rule. Unless we have received the provision of God, and I'm not just talking about physical needs, talking about the intangible things that he has provided for us, unless we have received that, we're not able to live out the golden rule. How can we, we be kind if we don't feel like it unless we remember the kindness of God and live out of that overflow? How can we be generous when we're trying to save every penny unless we remember the generosity of our father who gave up his only son and live out of the overflow of that? How can we forgive someone who has hurt us so badly unless we remember the forgiveness of our father who forgave us when we were still his enemies 
and live out of the overflow of that. I could go on and on and on, but you get the point. When we are filled up with the provisions of God, when we are filled up with his mercy, filled up with his love, filled up with his generosity, then, and only then, are we able to live out the golden rule. So that word so was pretty important, right? <laughs> Let's keep reading. So whatever. All right, your translation might say all things. It might say in everything. But the word encompasses all of life. It is literally everything. The gr- Greek word used here is Hosa, it's also used a few chapters over, and I thought this was so good, so I had to share it. (laughs) So if you just flip a few pages to Matthew 13, and we'll start in verse 44. Let's read this. This is again Jesus talking. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells, and here's that word again, all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had, there's that word again, and bought it. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, he's talking about his people, he's talking about us, and what he would be willing to give up to save us. And he uses that word osa, he would be willing to do and give up whatever it takes. Literally, Jesus, God in the flesh, gave up heaven to come down to earth so that we could be with him. He gave up every good thing, all of heaven. He came down off the mountain. So back in chapter seven, when Jesus is giving us the golden rule and he's telling us to do whatever, and we think, well, I can't give that up. Or I can't do that for that person. Jesus is saying, I already did. And if you're living out of my overflow, well, then you can too. Do whatever. So what's the next word in our golden rule? So whatever you wish, wish, and your translation might say want, but either way, there is a big distinction between want and need. I think we all know, or we all should know, if you don't, I'm telling you now, (laughs) it is the obligation of every human being to try to meet the basic needs of another human. We should all try to feed the starving man. We should all give shelter to those without it. But this addresses more than just needs. This rule means we, as Christians, go a step further to want. We go a step further to wishes and desires. One commentary I read pointed this out by saying, note that most wanting requires a vivid imagination. One has to be able to imagine a situation that doesn't exist in order for to want it. A fly that is trapped behind a window doesn't really want something, it merely does what it has always done. People are different. With the word wish, or want in the golden rule, Jesus is giving us permission to move beyond the life of a fly stuck in a window. (laughs) He gives us permission to go to the upper limits of creativity and imagination. The golden rule can be lived out simple ways like cutting your neighbor's lawn when they're out of town or inviting a lonely friend over. But with the word wish 
in the golden rule, it gives us permission to be creative and to go a step further, to think like a man named Matt Jones from Michigan. Matt Jones decided one day that he was gonna donate his kidney. And in his own words, he said, I thought that if I could help one person live a decent life, well, that would be great. And he had no idea what would happen next. Because of his desire to live out the golden rule, he started the first ever kidney donation chain. And it's just basically where family members of kidney donation recipients continue to pay it forward. When an individual is blessed by a new kidney, someone in their family agrees to donate theirs. So in Matt's case, it went like this. Matt Jones, I'm trying to get their names right. Matt Jones donated to a woman named Barbara Bunnell that he did not know. And then Barbara's husband, in turn, donated his kidney to Angela Heckman, a woman he barely knew. And after Angela gets her kidney, her mother is going to donate her kidney to someone else, and so on, and so on, and so on. So when Jesus says, whatever you wish, he is saying, the sky is the limit. Jesus says, I gave up heaven for you, so dream big about what you can give up for someone else. One of the distinctive marks of Jesus' followers is that we will regularly go above and beyond because we serve a king who went above and beyond for us. All right, let's keep going. (laughs) Back at the top. So whatever you wish that others would do. Now, just like us, the people who were listening actually would have been familiar with this saying, sort of. So hundreds of years before Jesus, Confucius said, do not do to others what you would not wish done to yourself. And then later, between the time of the writing of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, in the book of Tobit, you can find this written, what you hate, do not do to anyone. Then there's a story of the great Rabbi Hillel, who was dared to explain the entirety of Jewish law while standing on one foot. <laughs> and if you were here last week, you know the Jewish law is pretty big. So <laughs> but he, Rabbi Hillel thought about it and he said this, what is hateful to you, do not to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and learn it. So what do you notice about these that is different from the golden rule that Jesus says? They are all what not to do. And Jesus says, do. And that one change changes the entire meaning. It made me think of something I heard recently. I don't know if it's true, but it's a really good illustration, so I'm going to use it. (laughs) In the old Soviet Union, there were not many laws about factories polluting water. They didn't have laws about what not to pour in the water around the factory. They didn't talk about not dumping chemicals. They don't dam up the water. Nothing like that. They only had one law, And it said, you can dump as long as you dump upstream from your own factory's intake. So in other words, whatever the factory dumped in the water was going to come back to them, so be careful about what you put in there. (laughs) This is what Jesus does with the golden rule. He takes away the don'ts and the hates and the do-nots, and he says to his disciples, to the people forging their life on him, he says to do something. And I think that might be the most important word in the whole phrase. In the New Living Translation, it's the first word of the golden rule, do. Because to truly follow what Jesus says, we have to be active. In fact, the golden rule demands relentless action. 
all of those who spoke similar roles before Jesus talked about not doing something, but Jesus calls us into action. The rules before his were easy. Don't be a jerk. Okay, I will stay in my house and never talk to anyone. Did it. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't done anything to anybody to make them hate me or do something that I would hate. But the truth is, if we don't do something, then we haven't really done anything, period. And Jesus is calling us to more. Being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of him, is not to make sure that we get out of this life with no stains on us. Forging our lives on him is not about getting to the other end of our lives, praying the most prayers of anyone in history, or reading the most scripture. Those things are important, and we should do them. But doing those things should cause us to want to do something with them. When we only focus on the reading and the learning and the building up of our theology, we forget about the people God has called us to impact. And we become what I call Christian isolationists. And isolationists are hiders and avoiders. They say things like, well, I would never go into a bar because people get drunk there. Or they say things like, well, I would never talk to that neighbor because they cuss. Or they say things like, well, I don't go into inner cities because that's where the crime is. (laughs) Isolationists do nothing. But those who follow the golden rule do something with the Bible that they have read and the prayers that they have prayed. They go into action, they go into the world, and they make disciples. They guide people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. They do what God has asked us to do in these pages. And they do what God whispers in their ear for them to do outside of these four walls. They do. All right, let's keep going on. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Them. Your Bible may say others or whosoever, but them is the object of our action. Jesus says with this word, the target you are aiming to hit is this. (laughs) He just, everybody. (laughs) Notice what Jesus does not say. He does not say, whatever you wish your best friend would do, or whatever you wish your fellow Christian would do, or whatever you wish for the people that you like and don't get on your nerves. (laughs) No, Jesus doesn't limit our good deeds. Them encompasses anyone in our lives. It includes that grumpy neighbor. It includes that kid in your class that's a little bit weird and might smell funny. (laughs) It includes your spouse or your child that you just are really struggling to understand right now. It includes even the people who don't love you back. It includes everyone. All right, one last time, let's read the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. I know that's more than one word, but you can't really separate the law and the prophets, and you can't really separate the law and the prophets from the golden rule, because you can't take God out of the golden rule. We, know, we knew that at the start with the word so, that the golden rule is only possible by living from the overflow of God. But we also know it at the end when he says the law and the prophets because Jesus is saying do this because God the Father has been saying to do it from the beginning of time. 
And you don't have to turn there, but if we look all the way back in the book of Leviticus, which is where the laws are assigned and written out for everyone to follow, all the way back in Leviticus chapter 19, it says this, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Even way back then, when the laws and the prophets were being established and formed for the first time, God was saying, don't hate, don't sin, do love your neighbor, because I am God. The golden rule sums up and fulfills God's commands found throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus shows us that this simple rule, the golden rule, summarizes all that the laws and the prophets were saying about how we should treat other people. If we would simply treat others the way we wanted to be treated, we would naturally be following the laws about our relationships with others. It's just like that illustration of the Soviet Union. If you put good water in the, in the creeks and the rivers around your factory upstream, it'll be good for you and it will naturally be good for everyone. The great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said it like this. I had to quote Spurgeon. Sandra's not here. So, <laughs> oh, that all men acted on it, and there would be no slavery, no war, no swearing, no striking, no lying, no robbing, but all would be justice and love. What a kingdom is this which has such a law? If we would just live out the Old Testament law through the golden rule, we would be the outward manifestation and the visible expression, the practical demonstration of what our God has always been about. It is not that loving God is not important or that loving God is less important. It is that loving God is made visible and made full in our practical sacrificial love of others. If we lived out the golden rule, we would be bringing the kingdom of heaven to life and showing the world what our king looks like. There once was a young boy who had absolutely nothing in life, but he was a Christian, and so he was teased for his faith. People would say, if God loves you, then why doesn't he take better care of you? Why doesn't God tell someone to bring you shoes and a warm coat and better food? And the little boy thought for just a minute, and he said, well, I guess he does tell somebody. They probably just forget. <laughs> this is what the golden rule is talking about. God has called us to a way of living through the laws and the prophets and through the golden rule. But if we forget that, well, then somewhere out there, someone is missing out on seeing Jesus through us. And with that in mind, I would like to get to your homework y'all know how much I love to give you homework. So, <laughs> um, I want us to live out the golden rule this week because the golden rule is a command. It is something that we cannot forget. Notice in that sentence, there's no option of an opt-out. You have to do this. So let's listen to Jesus and start doing it now, today. When I was in college, um, the church that I went to one Sunday, we all came in and the pastor walked up on the stage. There was no singing, there was no awkward handshakes, <laughs> there was none of that. He just walked up on the stage and for five minutes he talked about the golden rule. 
And they ended it by saying, go, do it. And we all were like, what? (laughs) He said, go, now, stand up, go, do it. And that was the whole service, five minutes of him talking about the golden rule, five minutes of us going, what? And then us leaving. So when Andrew told me he wanted me to speak on this, I said, well, can I just do that? (laughs) He's not as fun as me, so he said no. But (laughs) that heart is what your homework is found in, from that heart of my pastor in college. So here's your homework. I'm not gonna send you out to do a generic act of kindness. That's too easy. I think that we can handle a challenge. Instead, I want you to do this. I want you to think of someone who is in a stage of life that you have already been through. If you are an empty nester, I want you to think of someone who just had their first baby. If you are in college, I want you to think of someone who's still in high school, who's trying to figure out what to do with their life. (laughs) If you are someone high up in the government or high up in military, I want you to think of an intern or someone who just signed their first papers. You get the idea. I want you to think of someone who's going through something that you have survived. And here's my only rule, it cannot be someone in your immediate family. I don't want you to be like, well, I'm a mom, so I pick my daughter, because I used to be a daughter. That's too easy and lazy, so we're doing more than that. (laughs) Once you have thought of this person, found them in your mind, I want you to do for them what you wish someone had done for you in that stage of life. That's why I want you to think of important hard things. If you are on the other side of a serious bout with depression and you can finally see the light at the end of the tunnel, I want you to think of someone who's still in the middle of the tunnel and doesn't know how to get out. If you are on the other side of a marriage that was about to fall apart and you didn't didn't think we were going to make it, and now you are, I want you to think of a couple who's going through that. Because I want you to do for them what you wish someone would have done for you. If you are a man who has a teenager and you thought of a guy who just had his first baby, maybe you can take him out to coffee, give him some encouragement. Maybe you can pay for a babysitter so him and his wife can go on a date and remember, they do still love each other. (laughs) Or maybe you just buy a giant box of diapers because you remember how tight things were when you first had your baby financially. Whatever you wish someone would have done for you in that stage of life, that is what I want you to do, and I want you to do it by next Sunday. And then once you have, I want you to email me. I put my email up on there. I'm going to hold you accountable. Next Sunday, I should have 60, 50 emails in my inbox (laughs) of what you have done. My email is very simple. It is my name and the church's name, okay? (laughs) I want you to email me. Now, as the band comes up, I want to tell you where I got this idea from. Um, Andrew has three best friends, and they call themselves the Four Horsemen, the wrestlers, not from the apocalypse, but (laughs) um, he had, earlier in the year, he invited them all to come to man camp. One of them coaches college football, so he couldn't come, but two of them were coming, and one of those men is Clint. You guys have never met Clint. The best way to describe him is the grumpiest old man you've ever met in a 25-year-old body. He's always grumpy, always angry about something, but in the same breath, he also is a chaplain for hospice, so he does one of the hardest jobs in the world, and he's great at it. And on Monday, he called Andrew 
And Andrew answered on speakerphone, and Clint said, I have something I want to tell you. It's going to be weird, but I'm going to tell it to you. And Andrew was like, okay. (laughs) And Clint said, I was with a patient. I can't tell you his name because confidentiality. But I was with him. He's about to die, and his family couldn't be bothered to come see him. He has children who wouldn't fly in. His wife has long since passed. He was all alone. And I was doing everything I could for him. I prayed with him. We played a game of checkers. I did all that I could, but I could tell he was super lonely. And on the last day of his life, a friend from college showed up. And the man smiled for the first time. They laughed. They prayed. And his friend sat with him until he died. And I just wanted you to know, Andrew, that if you get to that point in your life, I will be there. I will be the one sitting by your bedside. Okay, talk to you later, bye. <laughs> that was the whole call. <laughs> and I think Andrew maybe got a like, thanks man in there, but that was the whole thing. And this is where I got the idea. Because as you all know, Andrew deals with depression. He's talked about it from the stage. And he has ebbs and flows just like everybody else. And to hear from a friend that no matter what comes next, no matter how you feel next, I will be there was the little encouragement that Andrew needed to get through that day. And I thought, well, if we could do that for one person, what a difference we would make. And I know that maybe you do it this first time and it feels a little awkward. Clint was real awkward about it. (laughs) And you might feel a little funny, but good things are never easy. And what I think will happen is if we do this once, We will love it so much that we will start looking for other opportunities to do this, other opportunities to live out the golden rule. And I think we might might start seeing people that the rest of the world overlooks. And we might start investing in them and loving them and praying with them. And then those people might see that and see Jesus. And then they might start doing some things for the people in their lives. That's how you change a culture. That's how you change the world. You are Jesus for the people in your life until they know Jesus for real. That's the golden rule. In his book, Crazy Love, Francis Chan is talking about living out the golden rule and he says this, I keep asking myself, is this what I wanna be doing when Christ comes back? As for me, I wanna be able to stand before my father and say, I kept your commandment and I showed love to the least of us through my actions. So, over the next week, when you're going about your life, I want you to ask, is this what I wanna be doing while my father is watching? Is this what I wanna be doing when God asks me if I followed the golden rule. And if it is, great, keep doing it. If it's not, remember your homework and find something to do. Let's worship.